Hello and welcome to another episode of the Trading Desk Podcast. My name is Joshua Thanos. I'm your host. And today we have a perennial guest, uh, probably my favorite guest and yours too, and that's Michael Manjos. Hey, Manjos, how are you? Hey, Thanos. How you doing? Thanks for having me back again. Of course, man. Listen, if I could, if I could record with you every week, I would. <laughs> Careful what you ask for, as they say. Okay. Well, listen, you make it easy on me, so... I always appreciate that, but um, all right, cool. So we're we had a little bit of a hiatus. I had about took about a month off. We had some a few issues, uh, technical issues with our last recording platform that basically scrapped two or three of our last podcasts. And then I, and then we were supposed to record a few days ago. I ended up losing my voice, um, which is back now. So a little a little scratchy, but not bad. Um, but we're ready to rock and roll, and we'll we'll be pushing out content every week again. So um, we have. Uh, we had a very eventful week, and um, we have Manjos here, who's our, who's our uh, our Rolex expert, amongst other things. And uh, we're going to talk to him today. But first, as always, we're going to start with our customary wrist check. So, Manjos, what do you got on the wrist today? Well, interesting. I'm going to throw everybody off because I am not wearing my Batman anymore huh? um, because I actually got a new watch. What'd you uh, get? It's been a long time since I got a new watch because. I had two kids in college who were now both graduating this year, so I figured it was time for me to get a present, and I got the white gold GMT meteorite. Oh, wow. All right. You know, it's funny. Um, One of my buddies who's a fan of your show and follows you, he asked me if you got that watch, if you're keeping, if that's your watch, and I said, I don't know. I had no idea. I guess you posted it. I don't like wearing watches that aren't mine. Because I yeah. tend to beat up my watches and I tend to like just wear them everywhere and I feel bad if it doesn't belong to me. Whereas if it's mine, uh, what the hell? Sure. All right, cool. Well, congratulations. That's a, that's a heavy hitter. Yeah, no, it's been my grail watch for a while, so I figured it was done. Nice. Awesome. Well, yeah, now you're now you're flexing out there. Exactly. White gold GMT meteorite yet space material on the wrist. That's, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. So uh, cool. And well, today, uh, in in honor of today's episode, since we will be talking Rolex and Rolex exclusively, um, I'm wearing a Rolex as well. Uh, it's the the newest addition to my collection. Um, I didn't have a Rolex for a while, and I I've been kind of wanting one, and this came up as an opportunity. So I got a uh, my uh, a 41 millimeter uh, Datejust stainless steel with the white gold bezel, uh, white dial and um, with the sticks, so I have some loom on the dial, and it's the Jubilee bracelet, which I, I really, really love. I think um, it's an underrated bracelet. I know you're not a biggest fan of the I Jubilee. I'm not a Jubilee guy. You know that we're yeah. gonna get on this road. But it's, it's you know, it's so comfortable. Um, you know, I, re- I actually, I, I appreciate it on the, on the GMTs as well. Um, and if the GMTs weren't, you know, whatever, $25,000, $30,000 uh, in the Pepsi variant, that's what I would be wearing. But um, this one's more in my budget, and it's it's a really nice watch. It feels good. It feels like I'm wearing a Rolex. The only thing I would ask is if they could if they could do the hidden clasp on the 41 millimeters. I think that would make it absolutely perfect. Um, the sport clasp on the on the Jubilee. Yeah, the sport clasp on that is is a little odd. I don't like the transition. I don't like the you know it's just a weird look. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I understand it more on the GMT than on the Datejust. But if they, my wife has the 36 millimeter Datejust that I actually bought from you, the two tone that she loves, that's her favorite watch, which is basically doubled in value since we bought it, which was nice. Uh, but that has a hidden clasp, and there's just something uh, that's really, really nice about that. I love it. But um, all right, so let's get started. So um, today's topic is going to be uh, new releases, uh, watches and wonders, but we're really just gonna focus on Rolex because there is so much. 
um, right? There's obviously the obvious release, the the what I've been calling the Green Goblin, um, <laughs> which is it's it's. Uh, I mean, since I've been in the watch industry, I think that's the ugliest release that I've seen, especially from Rolex. Um, but there's that. But there, there's way more uh, to scratch on the surface. So and and Manjo's because you know of who he is and what he does, he's had to make himself an expert on this already. So um, so let's get started. So Manjo's, what are your initial thoughts? Well, of- this is great. So let's start with the fact that one to me, this is Christmas morning. So I mean, like sure. I was up at five thirty in the morning on release day. Uh, because this is everything. I love Rolex. I'm a Rolex junkie, and there's nothing more fun than seeing what's new, seeing what's gone, and seeing what's uh, you know what direction they're really going in. Um, certainly some surprises, certainly a couple of head scratchers. Um, but I think the most interesting thing is there was 160 references that were put on the website. Um, which is an amazing amount of new releases. And, you know, we'll get into the, the thoughts behind that, but that was a big surprise was seeing so much. And at the same time, feeling like there wasn't that much new. Um, so, I mean, you know, it was really a, a very unusual release. Um, you know, obviously the left-handed GMT is what's getting all the attention. Um, it is a very unusual piece. It is not certainly my favorite taste-wise. I just think it's a little awkward looking. Um, But, uh, you know, there is history on left-handed Rolexes. You know, we go back to Day-Dates, GMTs were done in the left-handed. They did Cellini's in left-handed. So, you know, over the decades, they have done these. Uh, It's certainly been a number of decades. Um, And maybe in person, it's going to feel and look a little better, but it just... You know, I keep looking at the picture and trying to turn my page upside down. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 a weird release. I understand that there is some history, but I mean, when you've been around for as long as Rolex has been, I mean, just like with any of these companies, you can find like you know a sketch of this or a prototype of that or a small run of this to to justify almost anything. But it, I think it it definitely came out of left field. Right, we had some predictions, which I was hoping we could do a prediction show. That didn't work out, but. Um, you know, we had some predictions. We thought Milgaus would be gone. We thought they would do something with the Air King, which they did. We thought they would do something with the Daytona, which they didn't. Um, and, you know, so they, they but the, a left-handed green and black bezel GMT is, uh, there's absolutely nobody who predicted that. So, which is, what's, what's really funny is that, you know, every year, I get guys who reach out to me, but there's guys online too who openly say, oh, this is a leak from Rolex and this is what's going to happen and I have insider information. Well, where were, the, where were those guys with the left-handed GMT? <laughs> where were they? Yeah. So that, number one, just reinforces the fact that Rolex keeps better secrets than the CIA. Without a you doubt, it's harder. got to be a screening process because they don't have leaks. I mean, Zero. it's incredible because, yes, uh, the predictions were relatively – uh, straightforward. I've been saying for a year the Air King's gone and the Milgaus was gone, so I was half right. Yeah. Um, I'm just truly still believing that Milgaus is gone. We just don't know it yet. Um, sure. I believe Rolex will do a secondary release in the fall. Um, yeah. It just has to go because it is the last watch in the entire line using that caliber. And they just won't keep a production line open for one reference. It's just not how they operate. It's not how their manufacturing is. I believe it's strictly a timing decision uh, that they felt they had enough and maybe they want to do 
what Paddock's done. Like, I don't know if you even noticed today, but, you know, Paddock did a new release today. Did they? Three days after all their dealers left <laughs> Watches and Wonders. <laughs> so they had everybody come to Geneva, showed them all the new product, and then two days after they left, I said, oh, by the way, we didn't tell you about this. Which what did they release? It seems bizarre. bizarre. It's a new split chrono. I mean, it's a cool watch, but it's like, why didn't you just include this in the release? I guess they were trying to, you know, some watch companies tried to get ahead of the releases. I guess Paddock tried to get behind the releases. It just, it seems like an odd way to treat your dealers and really makes me more and more comfortable of why, like, you don't even need to go anymore. It's not like yeah. the old days where you looked forward to going to Basel and Watches and Wonders and SIHH. Because now it's like everything just happens online, which is fine. Uh, it's just not quite the same, and I thought that was odd, but I digress. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it is it's definitely a little bit odd. I think I agree with you. I think that there will be some, um, some more releases at the end of the year, and I think that, um, that the Milgauss definitely – should be gone. Well, one one other thing about the Milgauss is that like it's you know it's named to be highly anti uh, anti magnetic, and you know that's what the watch is like its main function is. But it's less anti magnetic than like most other watch brands. So like uh, I think it was when I was reading it was it the um, the Seamaster movement the eight eight hundred has a higher uh, anti magnetic rating than the Milgauss or something. It was there was and an Omega. all the new movements from Rolex have a you know right more anti-magnetic than the Milgauss is because they've left the old movement in it. That's the other reason why it just doesn't make a lot of sense. I mm -hmm. truly believe they just think it's going to be a massive release um, and when huh. they do do it. So, Wow. Well, that's interesting. So I guess uh, you're, if you were a betting man, you'd be buying Milgausses now because you can assume that they Absolutely. would go up with the game. Okay. Interesting. So that's like a bit of, uh, of non-financial advice there. <laughs> um, interesting. So... Uh, so yeah, so they so we have a new GMT and a new Air King. Um, let's talk about we've kind of already talked about the the Green Goblin, which I'm trying to get that this day. I like I think that name. I think it's a good name for it's an it's it's an ugly release. It's green Green Goblin. I think it makes sense. It's, it would be the first nickname after a villain as opposed to a superhero. I'm going for Green Goblin. So let's try to perpetuate that one. Um, but uh, the Air King. So I mean. It, it you know people like to overhype everything and it's like oh my god a brand new Air King it's amazing it's so amazing but I mean realistically the Air King, they definitely did upgrade the Air King like it's it's I've owned the Air King before 39 millimeters it was a little thick um, it was a little bit awkward on the wrist uh, I didn't love it didn't stay in my collection very long this one seems like it it's a better watch it is definitely a better watch and this is true what Rolex does. Um, I did think we would see a variation of Air King, but I thought they'd lose their kind of racing dial, um, which they sure. didn't. But they just made a bazillion little tiny tweaks, um, which makes the watch better. And they really did, um, starting with the size, starting with the straightening the case a little, the crown mm -hmm. guards to give it a little bit more of a Rolex look. The bracelet, which I learned in my training the other day, uh, is actually... A 21 millimeter now, so it's a little wider um, mm. and a little bit tighter to the case, so it just kind of flows through. Uh, you know, they improve the clasp. It's got the new movement. It's got all those little things, and it's a touch thinner. So while it looks very much the same on paper and in a picture, 
Um, they did make a lot of changes. And the biggest change, you're going to love this. So this is true Rolex. The 5 is now an 05. Because oh. it balances better, according to Rolex. Right. So while we couldn't live with just a 5, now we have an 05. Easy way to identify the new one from the old one, which is nice on a wrist. Uh, sure. We can see who's got the new one. But yeah, no, I mean, it's a great entry-level watch. Surprisingly, we've gotten a lot of interest on this. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think they sportified the watch, right? So that was one of the, the things when I wore that watch. I'm like, you know, this is like, it's a watch that doesn't seem to kind of know where it should be because it, it feels kind of a dressier watch, right? Because it's it has, um, it had like rounded lugs, uh, obviously the um, the uh, polished bezel. So it kind of had a little bit of that Daytona feel to it, but it was a little thick. It just, it didn't, it didn't feel like a perfect Rolex watch. Whereas the new model, Crown Guards, a little bit thinner, um, a little bit more angular case, they sportified it. So I think that they, they moved it from like a, a tweener watch to more of like, okay, this is definitely a sport watch. Exactly. Yeah, no, I think it's got a little bit more distinctive now. Um, and, you know, the action is going to be back in it where it kind of had faded off. Yeah, like that was a watch that was never, I mean, it, it traded as of, you know, before the new release, those were trading at like ten, eleven thousand dollars $11,000, which was definitely up from the, you know, probably double what it used to trade for back, you know, five, seven years ago. But it, it didn't have like a meteoric rise like a lot of the other models, like sport models had. So, um, you know, first of all, we're already seeing the uh, the 39 uh, Air Kings trading at, you know, 13000 14000 So they got a bump, yep. as you would expect. And, you know, I, I can see this being similar to what happened with the... Um, uh, the Batman, where like there was an initial bump, then it went down, and then people really started liking it, so then it, it bumped back up again. So I could see that in terms of the market, um, but the new one, I, I can imagine that would be a double retail. Like, it's what's the retail on the new one? I don't even know, to be honest. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> you because it doesn't matter, but yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, no, I would well, be a high teams watch, though, for sure, when it first hits. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, I want to say it's probably like in the range of here. I'm gonna look it up right now while we're on or chatting. But it's probably in the range of a um, of an OP, maybe a little bit more. And I think that's the other thing that they did is that they they made it because uh, it you know it did overlap with the OP. So you have to seventy four hundred dollar retail. So OP is a fifty eight. Um, but you know that was one thing. It kind of the Air Kings and the OP, especially going back you know ten years. Like what's the difference between an Air King and an OP, right? So now there's a absolute clear difference. OP is more of a casual watch, and uh, an Air King is definitely a sport watch, right? I think that's that that can be uh, kind of set in stone there. Yeah, exactly. No, it's definitely back to being a sport watch. It's uh, good to go. Yeah, absolutely. I so it was a good. That's a good. It was a good, I think good, it's good move. And, you know, again, very Rolexy, just right. incremental improvements all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So um, another, I guess, do you call it a new release, an improvement? Um, but that didn't get any press and still hasn't, is uh, the Sea Dweller. Yes, the Deep Sea. Um, and again, mm -hmm. I'm a proud owner of a first-gen uh, Deep Sea well, now. And the second-gen lasted about a, had about a six-month of excitement, and then it kind of settled in right around the same place um, where the other one went. Um, and now we had a third-gen, which was a total surprise. And, you know, interesting, again, listening to them, I was confused with the improvements and why. Um, I did get the walkthrough on it, which helped a little bit. Um, 
but basically the biggest change is in the bracelet. So, you know, the extension that goes over a wetsuit is now gone. Uh, their theory was working with professional divers is the wetsuit technology has changed so dramatically that people just don't wear those big suits anymore. So 90% of the people were taking that piece out and it kind of looked a little odd. So they felt the need for that was gone. Um, they also narrowed the bezel slightly and chamfered the crystal, um, which is still thick, but apparently gives it a different direction. And then they increased the date by 8%. Uh, oh, the size of the date? Yes. Not sure that anybody could see the difference, but it is there. Um, and that's really where we're at. It's, uh, and it's the same movement. That was the first yep. thing that when, when we figured it out. Because you and I, the morning of, uh, we're, we're trading text messages and we're like looking at what's different and what's been discontinued and all that. And you're like, there's a new deep sea. Look, there's a new reference for the deep sea. And we're like trying to figure out what the difference is. It doesn't, there's no great explanation for that. So I look at, and yeah, same movement. But yeah, so some slight differences in the, in the proportions, which is what they did from the first gen to the second gen as well. So um, Yeah, it's just unusual to have three variations in such a short period of time. I mean, it's right, almost like Rolex admitting it wasn't quite perfect the last time, which is uh, a surprise, to be honest. Yeah, but it's also it also shows that their commitment to kind of their style of excellence, which is like, listen, if, it, if we don't get it right, we're just going to fix it. Like, we're not going to just stick to it. We're, we're going to fix it, which is what they did with, from the first to the second generation. I mean, it's a, it's a tough watch because... You know, it takes it takes either somebody who's a maniac like you who doesn't mind wearing a big clunky watch, or it takes somebody who's with a really large wrist in order to be able to wear that watch. Like the second gen fits me better than the sec first gen, um, you know. But I'm I'm curious to see what the third gen feels like and looks like because it still seems like it's too big, um, you know, at forty at forty four millimeters. Um, and I I wonder with the with the removing of the um, uh, the glide lock. Is that foreshadowing for the for the uh, um, submariners? Well, well, no. I mean, it still I, has I the glide lock. Oh, it just doesn't have the it's extension. It's just the extension piece that's connected oh, okay. to the glide lock that's gone. Okay, that still yeah. has the glide like lock, it. right? Which I still love. Yeah. Okay. I, I wasn't sure. Okay, so I was misunderstood that. So, so it just doesn't have the extension piece. Which, yeah, I think that's at, at this point, those extension pieces tend to be just annoying. Um, and it looks it looks odd when it, if you're if you size it correctly and you have that the end of that extension piece popping out of the, um, uh, you know, out of the clasp. I, I never liked that. So, okay. All right. So then fair enough. I think that's a, that's a good move. I was, I was kind of concerned. I thought that they took the, took the, the glide lock out and I was worried that they were going to take that out of the, um, the, the Submariner because I love that glide. I mean, like, for example, I go to my buddy, uh, Ryan, who you actually sold him, uh, a Rolex. Um, and, uh, I was wearing, I, he had his Submariner and I went to go. Uh, I went to go try it on. He's got a much bigger wrist than me, so I literally just popped open the clasp, slid it closed, put it on my wrist, and I was able to wear that watch. So I like that um, being able to to change that so dramatically, so easily. I think that's no, there's easy. nothing better that that clasp is literally making that adjustment while it's still on your wrist, not even having to take it off. Oh, it's, and it's such a big, heavy watch that it does tend to swell up your wrist sometimes. So it's it really is uh, an important thing. Sure, I agree. So, um, all right, so we talked about the three main new uh, Rolexes, right? So we have, it, what's, the re, what's the reference? It's a 13660? 13660, yes. Okay, all right. And the, and the new 
left-handed GMT is a one, two, six, two, right? Or no, one, two, six, seven, two, zero. One, the two, reference? six, seven, two, zero, VTNR. Right, VTNR, right, which stands for Green Goblin. Verde, yeah, um, Green Goblin. <laughs> I'm you got me sold on Green Goblin. Yeah, I think it's good. It's good. All right, and then um, and and then obviously the new Air King. Which what was the reference on that? Let me see. Actually, I have it pulled up here. It's a one two six nine hundred. So that's easy. That's easy. All that's right. Easy. So we got those. Um, what other? What other? Uh, was there anything new that that slid up? Just dials now at that Just point, right? Just dials at that. Well, no. I mean, if you go back to the um, the platinum day dates, so the day date forties. We now got a fluted bezel in platinum. Um, that's right. So again, that's not a, that's a huge deal. deal. No, I, I, you know, I agree with you. Um, I think they, they, I guess they figured out how to flute the bezel in platinum because it was a soft metal. So for whatever reason, they, you know, that was, I guess, something that they had been working on. Um, we didn't, I don't think it was needed. Um, I, I like the idea of a, of a smooth bezel uh, platinum it made a it made the watch kind of special though they there are white gold smooth bezels and in, in there are other um smooth bezel uh precious metal i agree uh, but I, guess they, I guess it just feel like it muddies the waters too much like the one thing i always loved about um the platinums is distinctive dial with the glacier you know only available yeah. there and then it really was that iconic bezel. So even if you did decide to get a, which almost nobody did, you know, a black or a different dial on the platinum, you could still tell across the room it was platinum because you didn't yeah. see a lot of day dates and certainly not in the 40 size uh, with smooths. So I just wanted more distinction to it. And then the other thing that I thought was odd is they now incorporated all the white gold dials into the platinum pieces, which you're right. like, why would I want a white, a platinum that looks exactly like a white gold, except for the fact that it's heavier and I like heavy, but it just seemed again, hard to understand why. Um, yes. Well, I can quote you. It is fluted, but yeah, it just doesn't so, do it for me the same way. To quote Mike Manjos, it has all the look of white gold without the- what's Stigma it, of cost. <laughs> The stigma of low cost, exactly. So it will, but not only did they introduce the fluted bezel, they actually discontinued the smooth, right? Yes, smooth is gone, which yeah, nobody saw gone. coming. So that certainly helped uh, push the market up on those, and we've seen you know a lot of calls on that right now. So. Well, it's madness. Yes, yeah, that's well, because I mean I've had guys who've been asking me for for new platinum day dates or whatever, and I'm saying, listen, man, I don't there's no availability for any of these things like you know it's it's crazy um and now obviously the watch is gone so anyone who owns one of those watches though i had a guy a week before offered me a frankenstein white gold to look like platinum right and then so he told me he's like hey i just got a call from it from my local ad for an actual platinum one so i want to sell this and i looked at it and i was about to I'm about to send it through to get price from you guys, and I realized, oh no, no, no! He said this is a white gold, like it's Frankenstein, um, which is funny because uh, I wonder if that watch has gone up in value, even though it's Frankenstein at this point, because of you know having that smooth bezel. Because I don't think that the are they offering smooth bezels on any white golds anymore? No. So the smooth bezel day dates are completely gone. Yeah, at this point. So look at that. Yeah, they are. It could be. Wow. Could be something. That's. That's wild. So, uh, so yeah, no more smooth bezels. 
on day dates. If you want a smooth bezel, um, you got to get an Air King, a Milgauss, or a Datejust, it seems. Yes. They're taking it away from that. And then the other thing that they introduced that, again, was a surprise on a couple of different fronts was the yellow gold Yachtmaster 42 That's right. on the Elastomer. So I had predicted possibly a 42, um, a 42 Daytona, like similar to the what they did with the uh, with the Yachtmaster, but I kind of hedged that with maybe a rose gold 42, and they kicked me right in the ass with a yellow gold 42, which I I think is awesome. I, I love that watch. Um, and immediately, if you looked immediately afterwards, the asking prices for white golds popped up. Yes. Um, yes. You know, I owned a white gold earlier in the year. Um, I missed that watch. I think it was one of the most comfortable Rolexes I've ever owned. Uh, I, n- I never really liked the um, Oyster Flex, but on the 42, it fits absolutely perfect. No, it's a great um, look. Like, I like yellow part. gold. I mean, I, you know, rose gold is fine, but I, I still kind of love a good yellow black. Yeah. I mean, yellow black is a, is a great, um, a great variation. And, and it's just, let's see here. I'm just, yeah, look at that, man. I'm looking at it on the Rolex website. I think it's great because the white gold was nice. It was very under the radar. Um, it was like kind of like a, like a, a, uh, a very subdued watch because number one, white gold doesn't look like precious metal. Number two, black bezel, black dial, black strap. It was very under the radar. But now if you add a yellow gold case, it kind of does the opposite. It pops. Yes. Everything pops. Um, and I think the retail, yeah, the retail is basically the same. It's actually a little bit less than the white gold. Um, but that's a watch that's going to be trading. I'd say they're both going to be trading around forty thousand dollars if I had to guess. Yeah, I would say that's a fair bet. I mean, it's a good it's a good introduction. It's going to be pretty tight coming out new. Um, and then we also saw the Falcon Eye in the white gold version, which I think is amazing. Again, an odd to put a stone dial on the sports watch. We've done a little bit, but um, just a great looking dial. Yeah, and what's what's the history? Because I know you mentioned, it. is there a history with Falcon Eye? Um, stone Not dials and Falcon Eye, but they Venus. did do a gold Submariner with a lapis dial at one point. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's not like they haven't done stone dials, but again, on that model, it was an unusual change, but cool. And I think even more unusual is we left the rose gold in 40. Yeah. Yeah, they still have the rose gold in 40. Right. right. So you would think if we're moving to 42 and we're putting the third color out in 42, why is the 40 still there? Well, they have a 37, right. a 40, and a 42. I think the 40 is – it just – I've never loved that it one. Wears it wears small because of the black black. That's – well, it, it not only that, the – the um, on a bracelet, Rolexes tend to wear larger, but on a strap, they wear smaller than their millimeter size. Correct. It's like a weird conundrum you have there, right? So – um, um, you know, because I love the forty millimeter Yachtmaster uh, on a on a bracelet. Uh, that was my very first Rolex. Actually, I bought it from you. Um, uh, that was the very first Rolex I ever had, and it sent me down the ro- rabbit hole of kind of doing research on the on the um, Yachtmaster. And the Yachtmaster was initially released as a luxury Submariner back before they put all the great technology that they have now into the Submariner. The first they didn't want to mess with the Sub because it was their it was kind of their mainstay outside of the presidential of the date just and so what they did is they developed that yacht master so they started adding like solid end links and and um you know rounding out the case flanks and all that stuff uh so it kind of makes sense that they would add the falcon eye or like a stone dial to that model because it, it still is like a a luxury submariner right yeah i could see that i mean it's pretty cool i mean it's a great look at that's going to be a 
super hard watch to come by. That one's going to go oh, big. Yeah. Is yeah, that one's madness. But um, awesome. So so they had some, you know, again, what what the casuals would say is lackluster um, releases, nothing to, you know, break break the internet, Other, I guess, other than the Green Goblin, um, which, I don't know, I, I, there's mixed reviews on it back and forth. I would... Well, at market price, I definitely would not buy it. But even at even if I was paying retail, if I had my choice between all the different GMTs, I'd probably pick a, the still pick the Pepsi on Jubilee, um, uh, the you know the correct side, the right handed, I guess, nice. or the left handed. Not upside. Because I mean, it's funny. Cause we call it left handed, but realistically, you're supposed to be wearing it on your right on right hand. Like that's the whole the whole thing with with right handed and left handed watches. If you're right handed, you wear your watch on your left hand. So really, all the watches are left-handed, and this one's really a right-handed watch, right? Like that's, Unless you're bizarre like me and it's left-handed and where you're watching your left hand, because that's just boy, yeah. Right. Or, or my buddy uh, Shelby, um, who, you're, who you know very well, he's left-handed, but he'll switch it off. Some watches are right-hand watch, some watches are left-handed watch. <laughs> I'm not even that crazy. I love that. So yeah. let's touch on the other interesting area, which is not new watches, but we went dial crazy this year. Yes. Yes, we did. So uh, the first one that popped to me was the Day Date 40s. So we did a yellow gold Onyx baguettes. You know, traditionally Onyx styles are plain uh, and don't usually have stones put in. They did do those bullseye dials back in the day. But um, seeing this with the baguettes on Onyx was interesting. And even more interesting, if you look close, the traditional black onyx on Rolex is always matte flat. So it's a straight black piece. Um, right. So sometimes you have to actually look to the day window to see that it's outlined in gold to tell that it's onyx as opposed to just black. But this one has striations running through the dial, which is a big change for Rolex and their onyx, which I found interesting. Yeah. I, I, I think that they are definitely making a... a a stronger emphasis on special dials, special stones. And I mean, obviously you see it with the Falcon 9, now you see it with this model. Um, well, in terms of the stones as well, they added, they did a new white gold 42 with, um, what was the name of the, there was a special name for the, for their diamond, their gem set, which is not even on the website, right? Yeah, they did a, um, they did a bunch of off website pieces that we'll get to, um, which I found yeah. interesting as well. I mean, they always did a couple, but they seem to be, you know, promoting them but not showing them and you know it's an unusual approach of you know yeah. yes we make it so it's not a rainbow it. it was like an ocean what, what was the name of this why well, can't i remember it was uh something to do with the ocean um let me see if i can look it up here uh, well the other day day dial which i think is not getting enough attention is the new green on the 40 day day that's right. It's like a. It was like a forest. Yes. Too, right? Yes. No. It's a push. And again, um, we all know the success of the green they had, especially in the rose gold. Um, but if you think about it, it's kind of a weird green. Yeah. Uh, that olive well, it's more green. like I mean, the, it was never like the GMT green, green. But like this is a hot green. It's awesome. Well, it's more of like a like the 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 anniversary yellow gold GMT. Correct. Green, isn't it? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, I think it's I think it's gorgeous. I like that. It's I think it's is it matte? It's tough to tell, but I mean it looks amazing in pictures, and I can only imagine it's going to be a huge hit. Everything green seems to go crazy these days. You know, be right. John Mayer's, be at the Rolexes, but this particular one is just a great look, and I think an improvement on the green. I mean, it might affect the rose and the whites with the olives, but 
Uh, this one is just popping. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I'm looking at it yeah. right now. It is. It, it's, it looks like it's a matte green, um, yeah, more of like a forest green. Forest green works for me. I haven't checked my Pantones, yeah. but I think that sounds about right. Yeah, maybe we should come up with a nickname for this one as well. <laughs> well you're officially um, the dumb naming department, so you're... Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I was, I, 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 if you go back to the to the release of the Tudor GMT, um, with me and uh, and Jason, we were the first ones to call it the Diet Coke, <laughs> or the Diet Pepsi. Sorry, um, I, we were on camera the very first ones to call it the Diet Pepsi. So, oh, all right, so um, you have tradition then. That's right. That's right. I'm I'm good at coming up with stupid names for things. Sure. Um, but uh, all right. So what other dials? Well, we went uh, into big of? in date just so. The Datejust 41s um, really got an upgrade as well. So we went, we have green there now, um, mm -hmm. which is, are great looking and a couple of different variations of it. Um, they also have the blue with what I call the Chevy dial because it reminds me of the right. old Chevy dials back in the day with the pattern. They did that in blue. Um, there's just a multitude of new dials across the board, be it on the two tones, be it on the, you know, Slate, gloss, I mean, there's just a multitude. I can't even go through them all. Um, then we also did the ladies with those 31 millimeters with the crazy flower dials. Um, right. Which are all uh, laser engraved and, you know, just, again, traditional wacky Rolex stuff from ladies 30, 31s. Um, just a great pieces. It looks like, I don't remember ever seeing, and I'm looking at the website right now, that there's a, a mother of pearl diamond dial on a two-tone Datejust uh, 41. I don't think they had that dial. Nope, they did not. That's week, another new dial. Uh, like I said, the yeah. 41's got a lot of love this time, um, which is very interesting and brings me back to the original conversation of 160 model references on the website, some off the website. This is just an incredible amount of new references. So if you want to get a 41 Datejuz with the blue Chevy dial on a Jubilee bracelet, there's not going to be a lot of those around because now we've taken the production of 41s and spread it over, you know, 10 more variations. And now suddenly, you know, we had problems supplying normal Datejuz. And, you know, normal date just in the last year, 18 months, just became over retail watches because you couldn't get them. I think this complicates it more than resolves the situation, whereas there's going to have to be very fewer of each if you want a specific combination. I just think it's going to possibly make what we think is a bad situation worse. Worse, right. You brought that up um, during our internal call, and I think that that is a good point that adding all these references, they're not increasing their production. Minimal, like, a couple points, you know, maybe they produce three or 4% more. Right, but they, you know, 160 new references makes uh, makes the allocation of, of production for each reference go down, right? So like, there's gonna be less of each reference that people are already chasing. Right, it seems to make each one rarer, which maybe is a good thing, um, but you know, in everybody's talking, you know, everybody's concern is one, you know, Rolexes are not as affordable because they're trading so far over retail. Um, and even on the basic pieces, you know, be it the OPs, be it the Datejust, you know, they, a number of the new dials became over retails, which was a new thing. And I just think this could make it worse. I mean, a blue stick might be even harder to come by now because 
they're making so many other variations, the greens, the blacks, the blues, the Chevys, the flowers, the, it just seems like you're going to make fewer of each reference. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, I'm already seeing, so like, I'm just, just browsing through, um, all of the, uh, the one, two, six, three, three, four, the 41 millimeter day chest on Chrono 24. And it, like specifically looking at the reference that I bought uh, a few weeks ago. So I bought it before the, the drop and I paid, I think 12, five for this watch, which is kind of what they were trading for. Now it looks like the cheapest one available is asking 13.5 and most of them are asking 14. doesn't mean that the market has actually moved, but it seems like people are noticing that, hey, these things might be more valuable now. It's interesting. Yeah. No, we're um, definitely yeah. seeing that. I mean, there's, there's just very few now decent Rolexes that are sub 10 grand. I mean, it's just yeah, you know, it certainly in the secondary market. I mean, everything's kind of crept a little bit. Um, you know, we saw it with... A lot of the sport models two years ago, and then it kind of spread to every sport model. I mean, for years, you know, yeah, Daytonas were hot, and yeah, Pepsis were hot, but like you could get an Explorer Two, and you could get an Air King at retail. Um, yeah, kind of spread to that, and now it's spread to Datejust, and now it just keeps to spread. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, just in the last year, you've seen basically every steel model is is above retail. Um, some of them are close still, like the you know forty-four millimeter, um, forty-four millimeter um, uh, sea dwellers, deep sea sea dwellers, are never going to be a two or three x retail just because you, you've taken out basically an entire continent of people who can't wear that watch. It's just too big, right? Like we talk about that stuff, right? Um, you know, so the, the anything over forty-two is going to always be iffy, but um, but now if like. Did you ever think that you would see over retail date justs? No. Like I nobody cared. Did. I remember those watches were trading for five to seven thousand yeah. dollars all day long. Those yeah. below retail. Absolutely. That was the below yeah. retail. No, they were always below yeah. retail because again, they were always sitting in the case. Uh, but we can say yeah. the same thing about gold sport models and white gold sport models. Yep. I mean, those were always sitting in the case Which, too, but those days that ship has sailed, as they say. Um well, Prior to 2020, we were lamenting about how steel sport watches were were more expensive or as expensive as gold ones. Well, get, guess what? You know, be careful what you ask for. That's wrong. We got fixed. Yeah. So, but yeah, the, uh, the market fixed itself, but not by lowering the price of steel, but increasing right. the price exactly. of precious metals. Um, it, it's pretty wild. So, all right. Well, I mean, so we we've kind of beaten the dead horse in terms of the new releases, but. The other side of that, which I think sometimes can be more more interesting, is that the discontinuations, Correct. right? Um, that's the second thing we always look for. In fact, I I noticed one before you, did. you, you were, so were texting. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, much appreciated. So um, I guess the biggest uh, the the biggest impact to the market of things that have been discontinued would be the OPs, right? So for some strange reason, they discontinued the Tiffany. The coral and the yellow dial of OP forty one. Correct. So, which the uh, the Tiffany's were starting to kind of cool off and come. They had cooled Earth. off. They had you know spiked and then dropped back, and now we're right back at a new high. Uh, I think the interesting oh, yeah. thing was that they left the Tiffany in thirty six. So, because I heard yeah. some people argue that, oh well, you know, Paddock became so known for the Tiffany that Rolex wanted out. Okay, well then, why would you leave the thirty-six really. and the thirty-one? Uh, so that the theory doesn't seem to have worked. Um, and then why leave the green if you're getting rid of all the funky colors, um, which they did. And mm. you know, so my theory at this point is that 
<clears throat> obviously the OPs had become super collectible and cool. And we're about a year and a half from when they were launched, which is pretty short run. Uh, I'm wondering yeah, is if cool. when, you know, when they see the new Milgaus, are we going to see new color 41s? And maybe we get in this cycle of, you know, every two years, we get a couple new colors and we get rid of the old colors. It would be awesome if they did. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'd love an orange. I'd love, uh, you know, there'd be some fun stuff we could do, um, which I think would be cool and, you know, kind of go back to the Stella days. Um, but I don't know that that's the case. So just speculation at this point. Um, it definitely affected the market rapidly. And, you know, I, even the yellows have right. gone up pretty strong. Yeah, they've exploded. I mean, the yellows were hard to get before they were discontinued. Now they're, you know, the, the price points are, are madness. I think I saw one trade on a dealer chat for like twenty five. Well, I was just going to say. I mean, it was a seventeen, eighteen thousand dollar watch. Now they're up at thirty. I mean, I don't know if they're trading at thirty, but they're definitely up there. So, uh, yeah, ask it just know. seems like a lot for that. You know, an unusual color yellow, but well, also a watch that. I mean, so that is probably the most over retail watch then at that point because it's a fifty eight hundred dollar retail trading at thirty grand. I think that's on par, if not higher, than the. Yeah, the multiple is definitely the highest of that. Uh, the, well, the Tiffany obviously would be the highest multiple because those are in the 40s now. So, um, yeah, yeah, and and I mean, I think that those are going to end up settling in the 50s. If I, I have to guess. Well, I, I already told my wife. She said, if you get 50 for mine, you can have it. So, <laughs> right. My wife yeah, has a number. Everybody's listening. She really loves that one. Yeah, well, but she's like, that's crazy. Well, <laughs> of course, it's crazy. Well. You know, that's it. Like, like I like to say with a lot of these references, that would be the worst fifty thousand dollars. Well, it would be the worst fifty thousand dollars watch you could buy. Yeah, no, I'm a seller at fifty. I got no problem with that. I'm a seller at forty, but yeah. you know, she still loves it. So that'd be why you have well, My favorite is, you know, I had a guy who was a good customer of mine, and he had a Tiffany OP that he bought for. It was either an employee or somebody as a gift, and then he decided not he wasn't going to give it to him anymore, and he wanted to sell it, and he paid a high price for it, and they had started to cool off. So we were offering him less than what he paid for it. So then the day after, maybe it was the day of them being uh, discontinued, he calls me. He's like, how much are you offering now? I'm like, listen, I, you know, we pride ourselves at, at being able to understand the market and, and, and move quickly. But, you know, we can't we can't assume to know what they're trading for like three hours after they've been discontinued. Yeah, that's always the fun stuff. And that's really part of the thing that we do have to do, unfortunately. So, I mean... You know, we have to take a position at some point and we have to take a shot. But and I have raised my bids on the Tiffany OPs, but certainly I'm not in the 40s to 50s because I don't have confidence that it's going to settle there yet. But right. Well, that's one thing about our company, right? And, you know, in being so large, we have a large inventory. We don't have to be the first guys to pay the most. Right. And, you know, I know that can be frustrating for some of our customers, but I say, listen, you know, we're usually going to, we'll take a wait and see approach. We'll eventually pay. Um, you know, the new high price, but we need to make sure that that's the real. Well, I think also, I mean, you know, not to toot our own horns, but we're the same way on the selling side. I mean, we'll be loath yeah. to jack the prices up if everybody jacks up until we see some traction selling. So, you know, I do track the demand and the sales pricing, and but I'm not just going to raise it because everybody else raised it to the higher price. I don't like being the follower, I don't price stuff based on Chrono 24, you know, we have enough internal data, I can see where the demand's coming from. Um, but you can understand right. when it starts running. Um, but again, I don't worry about chasing the top dollar on the selling side, I don't worry about the top dollar on the buying side, it's gotta be something that trades for everybody and there's liquidity because we have to trade. 
And I mean, I'm not buying it to hold it and keep it and hope it goes up in six months. Right, exactly. I mean, if that happens by accident, that happens by accident. But yeah, that's not our main goal. Whereas there are, especially nowadays with there's so much demand in this market that you have new guys who, if they're not the high payer, they're not getting the watch. Like they don't have, they don't have a lot of opportunities. And so like they're just chasing the hottest stuff because they also need to sell it immediately. They can't hold on to right. anything, um, right. which is a different bo- business model than somebody like us who's been doing this for, I mean, realistically, you know, if you, if you look at Godberg's and Watchbox, um, who used to be what you want, we've been doing this for over 20 years, you know, as opposed to guys who got into this market, you know, in 2017, right. um, who, are, who are just focusing on a few easy to uh, identify references and just trying to chase those every time. So it's, it can be frustrating sometimes. It's interesting, you know, it's a, it's a different model for us than it is for the guys who are kind of perpetuating the hype, I guess. Yeah, um, and you know, I love a good hype watch, but I mean, at the end of the day, <laughs> I also try to think six months or a year out and figure that, you know, somebody who I charge a fortune to today is going to want to sell it back to me. And that's an uncomfortable conversation if the market crashes. And when things move super fast, like we saw in Nautilus, you know, I'm suspicious. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when when we start seeing dealers buying watches off us, you know, I, I know them where the market's going and I, I want to stay lean on that. Whereas... You know, there's long-term value plays. I mean, a sub is going to be in a certain range. Daytona is going to trade. Yeah, maybe it's off the peak of the low 50s and only in the high 40s, but it's still, you know, a very liquid watch that we'll sell every day. Uh, whereas some of these, you know, big diamond pieces or the, you know, the platinum Daytonas. I mean, I just, uh, I just attempted to crash the market on those today because I just don't believe in it. Uh, I did. You'll see it when they go to 24. We're going to be the cheapest guy out there because I'm like, I just think this is coming down a little bit. I think people were speculating it was going away and it didn't. Uh, which, again, you brought it up a little bit that the Daytonas didn't change at all. I really thought we'd see ceramic bezels on the gold bracelet pieces. We didn't. So, still something to look forward to. But I think they were bit up on the John Mayers and the Platinums got a little crazy for my taste long term. Um, so I'd rather, you know, trade out and we'll try to replace. Sure. So, oh, wow. Yeah, I see. Is this ours for 189 Nope. Nope. Ours probably didn't. We just literally changed it the last hour. So but ours was at 189 oh. It's coming down. Yeah, okay. Yeah, wow. Yeah, because there's still guys trying to have these posted for well over $200,000. Right. And again, think back um, six, nine months. It was 110 120 that's a big move in six months to a year on a watch that sure. is out there. So uh, we've seen a lot of people offering them to us in the last few days, which is what I always say. You know, obviously people yep. are looking to cash the market because I think a lot of people think the same thing. I do. Yeah. Well, it's funny. So like, you know, with, with the rise of all these hype references and people who are buying watches who maybe like them, but also are thinking, oh man, this thing might go way up in value. And like you said, you know, selling a watch to somebody at a high price thinking that might come down. In the past, it used to be like, you know, somebody wanted to buy an expensive, complicated gold Ulysse Nardin. And I would have to have a conversation like, hey, listen, <laughs> I'd love to sell you this watch. Obviously, we have a price point in there. But, 
you know, there's going to be a larger margin on this watch because there's a fewer, you know, you're, sir, you're one of like eight people in the world who would be willing to spend the money on this watch. So just understand that when you go to sell it back, it might be a tough sale, even to us. So we'd have to have those conversations. Now it's like, hey, so you're chasing a watch. You want to get your hands on it because you think it's going to keep going up. It may not keep going up. So in six months from now, when you feel like, hey, you know, I spent a lot of money on this watch. I liked it, but I don't love it. I want to sell it back. You might take a hit. It's a different conversation that we, than we've ever really had. Yeah, no, it's interesting to see where the, because again, certainly the market is plateaued. Um, you know, I don't feel like it's it going good. up and up and up like it was week over week over week, but it's good. And if it pulls back a little bit, good. I think it's even better. I don't have a problem with that at all. Um, you know, it's just one cycle. So it doesn't worry me. I don't like prices going up and up and up. Um, I don't think it's healthy for the market per se. I think there are great Definitely watches not. that are rare and deserve premiums, but like it's not every single reference. Not every, you know, day right. just is worth over retail. I keep trying to say that to people, but they keep paying it. So. All right. Well, I mean, well, so the, the, the thing is, what's funny is that, so we're seeing a slowdown at the very top end of the market, but there's still a rise at the bottom end. And I think that's more about, you know, there's, there's two different buyers there, right? So the guys at the very top of the market who've been, who are pushing the top end of the market for the last six months or a year or whatever, you know, now you have extreme wealth that never thought about buying watches that are getting into basically, they're treating it like fine art, where it's, you know, these things are, are in their mind rare and they're investable. Um, they're also, you know, it's nice to own these things, just like, again, just like fine art, right? Um, and then on the bottom end of the market, you're getting the newer guys who are getting into the market and they don't have the two, $300,000 to spend. So maybe they, maybe their budget, they were hoping to spend 10, but they could bump it up to 15. And now they're looking around and seeing that, you know, a date just was $11,000 six months ago and now it's 13. So like, shit, let me get on one of these, one of these right now. So those are, those buyers are pushing the bottom end of the market. They want to get in. So they're still pushing the bottom end of the market. Whereas the top end, um, you know, people are, are educating themselves or some, somewhat satiating themselves in terms of uh, these rare and, and you know, quote unquote investable watches. So you're seeing a cool off though. We're still seeing a rise in Jorn, which we thought would have kind of That's plateaued. something that I can't understand. Um, we could spend a whole other hour on that. But yeah, no, that market is still running, which is incredible yeah. because if you go back two, three years, even a year, you know, we really thought we saw, you know, breakout pricing. It just continues and continues and more dealers got into it and more big clients got into it. And it's just, uh, it even surprised yeah. us when you know, we were the biggest yeah. Polish people on it for years. And they were like, whoa. <laughs> right. Now, it's, yeah, it's, out, it's outgrown us, which I guess is good. But, well, I mean, my theory on that is um, that, number one, there's a reason why Jorn popped and, and that a lot of other brands that make less watches, maybe with higher level of finishing habit, you know, there's his design language speaks to almost everybody, right? So like if you want to get into a small independent watch brand, but you're ne you've never bought one before and you're looking at Debatune or you're looking at a Jorn, the Jorn right. makes a lot of sense. Or, you know, like exactly. A lot of guys, you know, think MB&F is cool, but it's weird stuff. Uh, you mean yeah, you look like, you might feel yeah. weird wearing it. Mean? You know, so it's you, like, you this is very, very classic. You feel like it's a paddock, uh, but you're dealing with a, you know, narrow independence. So that's definitely attractive and it's obviously spreading and the production is still mm -hmm. incredibly small. And then it got even harder because there are no more dealers. So, you know, now go have fun at the boutique, which is not always the most fun. No, I've got, yeah, I've heard mixed reviews there, but I, I think the other part of that is um, similar to collecting fine art, 
there's always a personality. There's always an artist behind it, right? So every painting, they're, they're always selling the artist. Um, you know, I had, again, I had a conversation with a customer of mine who's an art dealer, and he was talking to me about this in that context where, you know, not only are you push, pushing the art, you're not just presenting a piece and saying, hey, this is what it is. You're talking about the person who painted it. Whereas, you know, again, if you look at uh, Debatoon versus, um, versus Jorn, you know, Jorn is Jorn. Right, like he, that's the man, and you can talk about him. He's he's become kind of part of the culture of of uh, of the watch world, and you know there's fun, crazy stories about the guy, and you know you, you know who he is. Whereas in Debatoon, you know the their head watchmaker is not on the dial, and he's not super right. well known. Um, that's I think that is probably the other factor that has pushed Jorn, and that there's still extreme wealth that is coming into the market to look for things, and he's the hot are, artist. Yeah. They're trying. To, yeah, I mean that's the, they're they're trying to equate it for something that they know, which is fine art, and Jorn kind of fits that bill. Um, so yeah, that's that's again that's a whole other show. Maybe you and I will talk about that um, on another episode. But uh, but yeah, so okay, back to Rolex. Do we see any other discontinuations between the uh, besides the OPs? Not really. Just obviously the replacements on the Air King and the and the uh, Deep Sea. Yeah. But no, I haven't seen. Again, I'm sure there's some dial variations that got wiped out that we didn't notice yet, uh, certainly in the Datejust mm-hmm. family, and I'm sure there's a couple variations there. Um, and to your point, the smooth bezels, you know, even the 36s are, are no more, so the platinums have all gone fluted. Um, but no, not really anything major discontinuations. Interesting. All right. And, uh, I mean, I'm trying – so normally – Right around, right before and right after the um, the releases, we'll get like a rush of people looking to buy, and then a rush of people right. looking to sell based on that. Um, you know, on your end, are you seeing a, a rush of people looking to sell certain models based on what was released? I mean, we've certainly seen a little bit more of the Milgausses coming on the market because I think people were buying and holding those, thinking it was gone, um, and maybe not willing to ride it out. Um, so I've seen that sure. happen and see a little softening there. Um, but the Air Kings have popped. The the regular GMTs have all seen great action. So not only did the lefty come out, but it certainly seemed to spark a little more stability in the other score models. So, you know, where the market felt like it was pulling back with plateauing uh, in certain areas, now it feels even stronger from watches and wonders. Interesting. Yeah. And again, I think I said it before, but the looks like the white gold, I mean, I sold mine. I think I sold it for what I paid for it, which is like uh, right at retail. And now they're online asking. The cheapest one I see here is like thirty-eight thousand dollars. Everything else is is asking. Oh no, here's one for thirty-six. Is the cheapest, but everything else there's a ton of them asking in the forty. So I don't know what they'll end up transacting at, but it makes sense to me. The the watch made sense at right around forty k for what it was, um, and I think that's it, it'll. I might settle there. Let's see if there's any of the yellow golds. No, no yellow golds um, posted yet. <laughs> Um, they probably haven't. No, they probably haven't. Now. But again, I think you know we'll see in the next few weeks deliveries. I mean, they'll they'll start dropping sure. uh, usually in Europe first, and then they'll make it over to the states. That's right, and and all the really really good, honest collectors from some of the other eighties around the country are going to be calling us. <laughs> to watch one. The way it works. <laughs> That's right. Um, all right, cool, man. Well, is there anything you wanted no, to add? No, I think this was else? awesome. Uh, I mean, it was a great, you know, Christmas uh, came again, and it was awesome. And maybe we'll get a second Christmas this year, which would be even more awesome. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, I think so. I think Watches and Wonders was a, was a great show. Um, but Tim did no, not go this year. I didn't go. Tim didn't uh, go. Again, yeah. uh, it's easier to do from here, and it's just not that much advantage to being there in person. Sure. Yeah, I think, uh, well, Tim said, he goes, I can do so much more on reporting from my desk in uh, in the studio than being there and trying to take, like, little videos of the watches with the hands-on. Like, we're getting enough um, information on the online now. And, and the Watches and Wonders website is actually Yeah, really no, good. that was the best place. Better, much better than the brand websites. Like, some of the Richemont sites were terrible. Oh, yeah. There wasn't great introductions. Oh, yeah. Maybe we'll do that one day, too. But um, the Watches and Wonders mm-hmm. site was definitely the best place. Cool. All right. Well, um, I'm going to end up probably doing a solo podcast talking about the other nice. releases. Um, Vacheron was my favorite. Moser did some cool cool things. Uh, Tudor made some releases that are somewhat interesting. So I'll end up probably doing about an hour like that uh, solo. And uh, But you and I will uh, we'll talk about uh, some other topics right. down the road. So uh, want, thanks for joining me. Um, if people want to get in touch with you... Uh, how do they do that? Do you want do you want them to or say or tell no, them I love talking to people. People, uh, you know, email mmanjos at thewatchbox.com, Instagram, wherever you find me. I'm happy to I'm I'm apparently very painfully responsive. So I, I respond to everybody who reaches out. That's right. Awesome. And guys, if you wanna reach out to me with topic requests or questions, or if you want to buy or sell a watch, I that's that's my that's what I do for a living. So you can reach out to me um, on Instagram at Mr. Thanos. Um, or uh, emails are, is a great way to do it as well. Uh, J Thanos, so my first initial last name at thewatchbox.com. Otherwise, subscribe to this podcast. Check out uh, Manjos has a new show around the crown, crown, right? Around the crown on our YouTube, um, on our uh, Watchbox Studios YouTube. Um, and if you want to see the best catalog of hands-on watch reviews on the planet to ever be made and will not be duplicated. Watchbox reviews Tim Tim Masso's channel. Literally, almost every reference you can think of now has been reviewed by Tim hands on. And if you're thinking about buying a watch, you gotta watch that his video at least before, um, as opposed to what I do. I buy a watch and then afterwards. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, check check that out. Um, and uh, if you're listening this deep into the podcast, almost an hour, we love you, your champion, and uh, awesome. see you next Thanks, time. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Thank mm-hmm. you.